I want to uh, welcome everyone this morning, sharing in this time. Uh, so glad that you're here. It's a beautiful day outside. Well, you heard the, the, the passage of scripture uh, read by Lumo uh, from Luke, the fifth chapter, and the first uh, 11 verses of that chapter. And it's a, a really remarkable story. I hope that you, if you would like to have one, you've gotten a copy of the, the notes. It has my own uh, translation that I'm going to be looking at as we go along and, and the notes that I'll be following uh, through the course of, of our meditation together this morning. This is a very important passage. It is Luke's distinctive way of beginning the story of Jesus' disciples. Um, you perhaps are aware, may, maybe, may not be, but um, Luke, as he writes his gospel, probably, I think, I think it's nearly certain, he has a copy of the gospel of Mark in front of him and loves it and uses it freely and so forth. But if you read about the call of Peter and Andrew and James and John in the gospel of Mark, it's, it's much briefer. And it's right at the very beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry. We're at the beginning of the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In, in Mark, it's Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. And uh, it's just immediately after Jesus' baptism is described and after his wilderness testing is described briefly by Mark. Um, Mark says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets net in the sea. Am I echoing rather a bit uh, for you guys, or is it just me that, that hears it? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, casting their net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, come after me, and I'll make you to become fishermen for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Well, as we thought you followed along with our studies so far in the Gospel of Luke, you know that um, in Luke, we're well along in, in Jesus' ministry. It's well underway. And we've, we've had several important episodes of Jesus' ministry. First of all, there's the, the, the whole after Jesus' baptism, the whole encounter with the, the accuser in the wilderness that's described at greater length in, in Luke than it is in, in Mark. And then there's going to his hometown, going to Nazareth, and preaching there, and dealing with the familiarity that was there, and the people praising his, the grace, words of grace that he has, but then distrusting him, and ultimately attacking him there. Then he goes to, to Capernaum, and he's in the synagogue there, and he teaches there in the synagogue. But he also confronts uh, a situation where there's some a person that... that Everybody sees as having this, what it's usually translated a demon, this being of power, as I translated it last week, that has hold of him, and Jesus rebukes it and sends it away from him. And um, then after that, he goes to Simon's house. It just literally goes out of the synagogue and over to, to Simon's house. It's the first time that the name Simon comes up in the gospel. And there he encounters uh, Simon's wife, and Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, and she is in the grip of a fever. And Jesus stands over her and rebukes the fever, and it departs. And so these things have gone on. Then Jesus is teaching more, and the people are coming to him. And once the, the Sabbath is over and the following days, they just come 
streamed to him. And, he, and Luke describes how each and every person, he lays his hands on them. And there's whatever healing was, was needed for that, that person that, that takes place. And so Jesus finally, after all of that, goes out into the wilderness. But they pursue him out into the wilderness, you remember. And he refuses to be drawn back. He says, I've got to go to other towns. Um, and so there's a kind of hint of travel uh, that might take place as Jesus goes out and about. But there's no real description of it. And so at the beginning of our text, in chapter 5, that most of those things that I just described happened in chapter 4, at the beginning of our text, Jesus is still very near the same area. He hasn't gone away to other parts, or, or maybe he's gone and come back. We simply don't know. But he is by close to where Capernaum is. And so in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, this is reading from uh, my own tra translation. But it happened when the crowd was pushing up against Jesus. This is the way it was when Jesus would reach out and touch people. People wanted to be touched. And healed when the crowd was pushing up against Jesus and listening to the message of God. And he himself was standing right at the edge of the Lake Gennesaret. Jesus then spotted two boats sitting by the lake. Boats that have been pulled up at least a little bit onto the, onto the shore to, to hold them so they don't float away. And, um, but the fishermen, after getting out of them, were busy washing the nets. When he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, notice that, that it just again Simon's name just comes up, Jesus asked him to row out just a little from the shore, but as soon as he sat down, he started teaching the crowds from the boat. Notice that it starts, at least in my translation, with, but it happened. Uh, again, in, in Greek, it's, it's a phrase that imitates the scripture phrase. Uh, uh, and it, it translated as, in the King James as, and it came to pass that, and so forth. And so it has that kind of quality of uh, the sound of scripture. But at the same time, it also has a bit of a sense of happenstance. And it happened. It so happened. that It's like everything seems unintended. And yet at the same time, there are great consequences that emerge from this uh, story. First, the situation there is, as Luke describes it, are the people. We see them. It's a continuation of the story we've heard before. They push in on Jesus. They, they listen, yes, but they also want to touch Jesus. And then Jesus, needing a way to get away from the press that might push him over into the water, uh, sees two boats. And notice that, he, that Luke describes the place as Lake Gennesaret. He never calls the place the Sea of Galilee, like, it, like the sea is called in, in the other Gospels, but he calls it Lake Gennesaret. And uh, it, it is a lake. It's not a sea. It's a, it's a modest-sized lake. And he, there on Lake Gennesaret, he sees two boats. And he, it's like he walks up and gets in one. And just so happens that it's Simon's boat. Wow. It's a 
fisherman's boat. You could see something in the, the pictures from Lumo of a, of a boat like that. It so happens, I, it so happens, uh, it so happens that, that a boat like that was found actually in 1986. Uh, oh, and here we're going to have maybe a couple of pictures uh, uh, of it up here on the screen. It, when the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret, was, it was in a period of drought and the water went way down and they spotted some nails and stuff sticking out of the mud and started an uh, excavation there very quick and discovered this was a, there was a boat here. And then the Isra uh, Israel Excavation Society, they set out to, to, to retrieve this boat and it was a very elaborate process of getting it out of the of the mud 12 days working day and night they 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 finally got it out back in 1986 and the boat was very much the kind of boat that you uh, would should imagine here 27 feet long this is not a little rowboat 27 feet long it's seven and a half feet wide the one that that was found there four and a half feet deep it's from the first century, carbon-14 dating, dates to A.D. 40, plus or minus, of course, always. And so we get a vision of this, uh, this kind of situation. They've actually made a reconstruction of the boat so that you can kind of see what, the, what the, uh, a boat like that might have looked like. It's not that this was, was the boat. It's just a boat that was there. It's... It's a rather rough boat. It's made out of scraps of wood and, and all kinds of things. The ribs that go across it are, are very knotted and they have and made out of all different kinds of wood and, and so forth. They had to once they took it out of the mud, they soaked it for years in a wax bath so that it would be preserved. And so it's in a museum there on the northwest coast of, of, of Galilee uh, today. You can go see it there. But it shows what the kinds of boats were, that were used on the Sea of Galilee were, were like. And Luke wants us to focus on these the fishermen there, this working boat, and the fishermen that were cleaning their nets and readying them for another outing that evening. And so we watch when, once we hear that this is Simon's boat and Jesus called Simon and says, Simon, you know, row out a little bit from the shore. And, um, you know, that's basically it. And he, Jesus sits down and starts teaching. Jesus interrupts Simon's day. He gets in the boat. It turns out to be Simon, but Simon's busy washing and preparing the nets. But strangely, I guess we might say strangely, on the shore, it's not something that Luke may, particularly makes note of, but if we learn it from what goes on, there are no fish inside. And there are no yelling for crowds to come and buy fresh fish for the day. Jesus just asks a favor. Jesus had just healed Simon's mother-in-law. What a, what a stroke of fortune that he's gotten into Simon's boat. So would Simon row out? So Simon has to stop what he's doing, work, working on the nets, and get some co-workers, and they have to push the boat back out so that it's not caught up on the shore. And it, it's a big enough boat that it takes several to row it, and so then Jesus just sits down and starts talking, starts teaching. 
And so we have this image in our minds of Jesus in the boat, maybe the curve of the beach, at least as I imagine it there, making a kind of amphitheater. And Simon and part of his crew are caught there with Jesus in the boat. It's a vivid scene. But it's one that could end by, just by Jesus getting out of the boat and thanking Simon very much, talking about his mother-in-law, asking how she was doing, plunging back into the crowds, maybe with a word to Simon that he'd like to talk to him sometime soon. Instead, <clears throat> Jesus challenges Simon, I guess you could say, with a very disruptive piece of instruction. Can I call it that? Chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. And when he stopped talking, when Jesus stopped talking, he said to Simon, row out to the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. In response, Simon said, Master, even though we worked through the whole night, we didn't catch a thing. But on the basis of your word, I'm going to let down the nets. I think Luke wants us to have a sort of sense of this is, this is kind of crazy. It's like this carpenter that maybe has never been in a real fishing boat wants Simon and his working crew to give him a first-hand experience of real fishing on the lake. But he already interrupted the cleaning and the repair of the nets, getting them ready for the coming night. He should be able to see everyone's frustration that things haven't gone well, that they need to get back to work so that they don't have another night of catching absolutely nothing. And then there's the fact, the fact that he doesn't ask Simon. He tells him, row out to the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Mm. At least in my imagination, I can just see the eyes rolling. Now, Peter could say, no, that's crazy. But he's seen Jesus. He's seen Jesus in the synagogue, freeing that man of whatever it was that was corrupting his whole life. He's seen Jesus in his own home, rebuking a fever. Crazy. But somehow the fever was gone. He says to Jesus, Master, that's a good Nice translation. It, it, it means kind of like a superintendent or supervisor. It's epistates. And, and you could almost translate it boss, something like that. This is how it is. There's nothing in this lake this morning. We worked all night. But... And I don't know, you know, I'm making this up. Maybe there's a little condescension in his voice. I don't know. I don't think so, really, though. There may be a sense of obligation to repay the debt for his mother-in-law's cure. On the basis of your word. I'm not taking responsibility for this. Maybe. That could be an element. Or it could be 
I know how powerful your word is. Or it could be of both of those at the same time. Peter had heard that way that Jesus talked, that sense of real authority. But Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about here. Or does he? And so Simon has to get his crew back onto the boat. It takes several to, to go out into the, into the middle of the lake and especially to, to handle the nets. And the nets have been part, at least partially washed. They're nearly ready for the, for the night. But he has to get them back and bring them on board. And, and they leave James and John on the shore. You can imagine James and John saying, are you really going to do this? Right here in the morning? <laughs> when there's not going to be, there's not any fish then any time, anyway. And we couldn't find any all night long. Are you really going to do this? So they row out on this foolish task. But then, of course, as you know the story, it happens. Luke chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Going back just a little bit. In response, Simon said, Master, even though we worked through the whole night, we didn't catch a thing. But on the basis of your word, I'm going to let down the nets. Then when they did this, they enclosed such a great shoal of fish that their nets started tearing. They waved to their partners on the shore in the other boat to come and share with them. So they came and filled both boats so full that they were about to go under. They know from experience that you just don't catch fish in the daytime like that. But there it is. Abundance. Too much abundance. Nets tearing. Frantic waving. James and John bring their boat. Both full, nearly sinking. Two boats. It's a good thing Jesus draws a crowd. They need customers to buy all these fish. This is the start of Peter's great story that's going to continue through the whole Gospel of Luke and on into Acts. But notice how strange it is. Jesus is a teacher. He's the proclaimer of God's kingdom. He's known for his proclamation of the kingdom of God. But Simon's no student of Scripture. Could he read? I, I think probably he could. You know, he participates in the synagogue and <clears throat> so forth. But it'd be hard for most fishermen to find anything to read in those days except just the Scriptures for the synagogue service. Hmm. He's certainly not one of the scribes. And when Jesus talked about, uh, I'm sorry, when Luke talked about Jesus' teaching on those days, he doesn't give any details about the content. He just says that Jesus taught. 
And so Luke wants us to see that he is not grasped by Jesus' message or his understanding of Scripture or anything. But what then? What is it? Luke wants us to watch an ordinary man who really sees. Verse 8 of our passage starts with, but when Simon Peter saw. Jesus hasn't named him Peter yet, but Luke drops that name in here in advance because he wants to make sure that we know, I guess, but he wants us to see that connection. This is the story that's going to go all the way through. When Simon Peter saw. And we would expect there to be some object. He saw something. But the way Luke puts it, there's not any direct object to the word saw. There's nothing specific. He saw the fish, certainly. He saw the daylight. That's what made this fishing expedition an impossibility. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus' authority. He saw his power. Now notice that there's nothing in the text that ever says that this was a miracle. It's like getting into Simon's boat. Maybe it was just a coincidence. There happened to be a shoal of fish swimming by. Not a thing in the whole story that says that this is a miracle. Or a sign. But it just happens where Jesus is. And Simon Peter sees. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. But when Simon Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For complete astonishment sees him and all those with him over the catch of fish that they shared. So it was also with James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Peter's first reaction to when he sees Jesus is no. He realizes that this is a challenge for him. Somehow that catch of fish became Jesus speaking to him, calling him. And he says, no. He sees himself. That's part of what he sees. He knows he's not ready. He knows he's not the right person. I'm a sinful man. This doesn't mean that he's some great sinner, that he's got a guilty conscience. That's, he's just an ordinary person. He's not someone to interact, to be around such authority. It's like, a, it's, it's like carrying around the, you know, the, the briefcase that has the nuclear codes in it. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. But there's more. This is uncanny and it's fearsome. If this can happen... What's next? It's far too much. He's a master fisherman. He's got his life ahead of him. He knows what he's doing. He's, does he want to become a learner all over again? 
Go away from me, he says. And the, I, the verbs that are used there, just happen, as Luke tells the story, to be the very same words that Jesus uses when he speaks to that being of power that has hold of the man in the synagogue. Go away from him. They may be the words that struck Peter from that situation. I don't know. They're those very words. And Jesus hears those words coming at him. Jesus is dangerous. He's out of my control. He's fearsome. I don't know where he'll take me. But it's likely to be someplace that I can't imagine. I don't want a boss. I am a sinful man. I don't want a Lord. But still, every place Jesus is seems abundant and beautiful, and healing. Everyone he touches is somehow healed. And so it comes out, I'm a sinful man. Lord, my Lord. Luke wants us to see that Jesus comes not with an attractive teaching that just wins people over by its logic and profundity. He doesn't bring a clarifying philosophy, a wisdom for successful life. Now, some of that will definitely come. We're going to have lots of teaching of Jesus as we go through the gospel. And they're going to come in compelling form, calling us to standards of life we'd never choose on our own, very likely. But if we're going to hear that message of God's kingdom, we need, with Peter, to see who Jesus is. See his authority in ways that we can see it, perceive it ourselves. Why should I listen to Jesus? Peter here stands for James and John and all the others who will follow right down to us. In this next chapter, Luke tells how these fishermen become the core of Jesus' disciples. It's in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. And these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Now we already know how this goes, but surprise, it's Simon, whom he named Peter. And from that, that point on, he's always called Peter or just about always, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and so on the list goes, who become. Jesus comes not to give good guidance and advice, but to open a new world, to change our thinking and our acting, to change the world we live in, the reality that we see all around us, to bring us sinners into the healing grace and love 
of the holy God who is dangerous beyond compare, but who is also Abba, whose very being is self-giving love. Listen again, but let's go a little bit further. Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. But when Peter saw, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For complete astonishment seized him and all those who were with him over the catch of fish that they shared. So it was with James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, it's people that you'll be catching alive, or you'll be catching people alive. And when they brought the boats up onto the shore, they let everything else go, and they followed Jesus. Don't be afraid, Jesus says, and the words come down to us. Don't be afraid, but everything changes. Things start being different. A new life opens. And they leave the fish behind. What a day for the crowds. Everybody had a big fish fry that evening or something. And they leave the boat behind. And ties to family and town and the past and the future change. Think about what's happened here. What's the language of fishermen? <laughs> it's not the language of scripture study of the scribes. It's not high culture. It's boats. It's keeping those nets in repair. It's hard work through the night. It's fish. It's selling them day by day. It's getting by. Jesus speaks to them in their own language. Not in words, but in experience. An empty lake that they had dragged their nets through just hours earlier, where they couldn't catch a thing, becomes abundance. Tearing nets hold a gigantic catch. Partners come and share. It's hard to explain how this happens. But one thing becomes ever clearer. It's where Jesus is. And so they let go. They release everything else. The word for let go, for release, is exactly the word that is usually or often translated in the New Testament as forgive. They forgive everything, they release everything, they let go of everything. And it points to the fact that it has this multi-sided thing. We, when we use that word forgive, just think in terms of one thing. I've done something wrong and somebody needs to forgive me. God needs to forgive me. Maybe you, if I've offended you, that you uh, need to forgive me. But there's this larger sense of release, of us being caught and needing to get out of all the, the traps, the ordinary everyday traps, the wrongs that we've done, the enslavements of everybody's life. And so through the course of Luke chapter 5 and 6 and 7 that lie immediately ahead of us in, in Luke's story, 
Luke is going to show us a lot about sin and brokenness and enslavement and release and forgiveness. They follow Jesus. Now let's be clear. They do not understand Jesus. They don't know what to make of him. Luke tells us that explicitly as they go along. But they start the journey. They've experienced his call, his authority. They don't know where it will lead, but <laughs> two boatfuls of fish. They've never had such a thing. They're going to catch people. Now, in Mark, it says, I'll make you fishermen for people. It uses the term fishermen. Here it doesn't do that. Luke doesn't do that, but even though it a lot of times gets translated, it takes the word for catch that we've meant, that's been mentioned and adds on to the front of it. It's a, it's a standard word. It's not a made-up word by Luke, but it has on the front of it the word for life, to catch something alive. It's like catching a pet, you know, or catching an animal or something like that, where you, you're not killing the fish and selling them that way. You're catching people alive, but it's not just catching them alive, you know, to put them in cages. It's catching them for life, to give life. That this Jesus will catch people and give them life through you. Bring them into new life that they could never imagine. A life for abundance, for God's promises. It's only a couple of years after this moment that this fisherman will find himself standing with a crowd in the temple. A crowd that just a few weeks earlier had cried out for Jesus, this Jesus that he's just called Lord, to be crucified. But he won't be talking about getting revenge or getting justice for Jesus. He, Simon, this sinful man, will be offering new life to those very people. This is my sort of paraphrased translation of that moment in Acts, the second chapter, verses 38 to 40, where he responds to the cry of the crowd. Peter said to them, Acts 2, 38 to 40, change your way of thinking and acting and each of you be plunged in water on the basis of who Jesus is. That's translation of the name of Jesus, who Jesus is as anointed king in order that you can have release from all your brokenness and wrong. From him you'll receive God's Holy Spirit as a gift because it's for you that God made this promise and for your children. Indeed, it's for everyone, even those who are far away. It's for everyone that the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, Luke says, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, let God save you from this contorted generation. That's what Simon is just beginning to see in our text. That's the scary wonderful voice that comes out when Jesus speaks. It's Jesus' life-giving authority, his power to give hope and abundance of life. 
Jesus called Simon that day and Andrew that day and James and John that day. He calls each one of us with that same disconcerting, fearsome, fascinating, loving, gracious, life-giving call. Can we see? Can we hear? Amen.